title of my message today is The Holiness of Blood and the Priesthood of the New Covenant. Christianity is, in fact, a very bloody religion. Everything we do in our worship, everything in our creedal statements, our statements of faith throughout history, centers on the shedding of the blood of a human being that we worship as God. In the Western world, I think it's easy to disconnect our relationship with God in terms of the shedding of blood. Um, so my hope is today is to give you an overview in the scriptures of the Old Testament and of the New Testament to see what is the significance of this blood. We hear it all the time. It's laced throughout our worship. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's vein. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, wash all their guilty sins away. If you're ever hanging around a group of intercessors, you will hear, Constant appeals to the blood of Jesus. <laughs> We're taking our Bibles. We're sprinkling the blood of Jesus over every doorpost in the house. We're running our Bibles across the chairs for the blood of Jesus to anoint. <laughs> and, you know, we don't see it with our physical eyes unless we're seeing by revelation of the Holy Spirit. So it, so it can be easy to disconnect. But, but, friends, the blood of Jesus is so integral to our, to our faith, to our worship, to our life in God. So... We're going to look at the Old Testament, the Levitical, the Levitical priesthood, um, and we're going to see that blood, the power, the value, and the effect of blood in the Old and the New Covenant. Um, we're going to see that it cleanses and purifies, that it makes atonement for us before God, and that it sanctifies the people of God for worship and intercession. All right? So... Let's look at the Old Covenant. In the priesthood instituted by the Mosaic Law, everything centered on blood sacrifice. If you've ever read through the book of Leviticus, just read chapters 1 through 7, you'll see a very violent <laughs> passage of Scripture. I was reading this this week, and... Like, wow, this is like watching the Hunger Games, you know? <laughs> um, there's, there is, you know, some of our translations say that the sprinkling of blood, that it was, they, they had the temple, they had the, or the tent of meeting, rather, um, that had the articles of worship, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of sacrifice, the veil into the holy place. Every single thing in the temple, including the priests that ministered, were sprinkled with blood. The New Living Translation gives a much more graphic explanation. It used the word splattered with blood. Um, this, is, this was everywhere. Um, and we, we actually saw it in Scripture before the, the Mosaic Covenant was given. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God took an animal, sacrificed it, and clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of that animal. There was shedding of blood. Where there was sin... There was shedding of blood. 
Cain and Abel. Abel was offering sacrifices to God, the second generation of humanity. Already, blood was an integral part of worship of Yahweh. Noah, after he stepped off the ark from the 40 days of of flood, the first thing he did was sacrifice. The earth had been cleansed by water, and then through the sacrifice of Noah as an atonement by blood. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, building altars, sacrificing animals wherever they went. Which brings us back to the, Levit- the Levitical priesthood. Um, the number of offerings, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering, I won't go into detail into each one, but read Leviticus 1 through 7. Friends, we've got to get in our Old Testaments. If we want to fully understand the power and the the grace that is involved in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, we've got to start opening Leviticus. Because this book, more than any other, talks about blood as far as our relationship with Yahweh. So, um, I just actually want to read a passage from Leviticus 16. So turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 16. Okay, Uh, we're going to look at verse 14 and Moses is, we have Moses on the scene with Aaron and unfortunately Aaron's sons had died because they had engaged in worship improperly and we go to verse 13, he shall put incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. Just a brief pause. In the tent of meeting, you had the outer courts that everyone was welcome to. Then you had an inner sanctuary called the holy place that only the priests were allowed. There was a lampstand. There was a table with the bread, what was called the bread of the presence. And there was an altar of incense. But then there was an even holier place, a most holy place, behind a veil that only the high priest could enter into. Within that holy of holies stood a big wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant. It contained Aaron's rod, the Ten Commandments, and and, and pieces of manna that that had fallen from heaven in the wilderness. On top of that ark, that box, maybe about yay big, maybe a little bigger, Um, was what was called the mercy seat. It was a seat that had two angels, two, uh, a cherubim on either side. And it was at this mercy seat that the high priest went to sprinkle blood as an act of mercy, as an act of atonement on behalf of the people of Israel before God. Okay, all that from one verse. Verse 14. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it or splatter it, if you like the New Living Translation, with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Pay attention here. Verse 16. 
He shall make atonement. He shall make atonement for the holy place. Because of the impurity of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst with their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. We could keep reading, but um, the main reason I had us open to that passage is, number one, how often are we preaching from up here and say, open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus? Um, So that was just a lot of fun for me. Um, (laughs) Go read Leviticus (laughs) this week. Um, But secondly, just to emphasize what I've already said, is that everything in that tent of meeting when in regards to the worship of Yahweh involved a a, a sprinkling of blood for the atonement um, before God on behalf of the people because of their impurities and transgressions. And it was the blood of goats and bulls that was being used to sanctify this earthly sanctuary. So, um, it made atonement and it remitted the sins of the people. Why blood? What's with blood? I have found myself asking this question numerous times because God is God, correct? God is for God. (laughs) God can do as he pleases. I have a good friend who (laughs) hears people say a lot, is God for me, is God for me, is God for me? And and God is for us, and he knows that, but uh, his response to that is, God is for God. Are you for God? That's the real question. (laughs) We're wondering, God, are you for me? Are you blessing me? God's like, are you for me? (laughs) But he is for us. And he demonstrated that by giving his son. Um, But God could have done anything, at least the way my theology works, um, that he could have chosen anything to remit the sins of the people. And, And I've actually had people ask me this in conversations about Jesus about Christianity is why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just kind of say, okay, your sins are gone. Let's have a party. You know? <laughs> um, but that's not what he did. He gave his son over to a brutal death in order that we might be restored in, in covenant relationship with the Father. Um, but uh, Leviticus 17, I believe, gives us the, the, the clearest scriptural uh, explanation of why blood. Leviticus 17.6 says that the, that the life of the creature or the soul of the creature is in the blood. That sin came and it caused death to spread to all men. And in response to the death that took dominion over humanity at the fall, that God, who had made the blood of creation so pure, so holy, so powerful that that blood was the only thing that could reverse the curse of death that had been released over humanity. That blood was holy. That blood contained life. And that in order for death to be defeated and death to be swallowed up, it had to be consumed and covered by life. The irony of the matter is that in order to get blood, something or someone has to die. 
Even more specifically, something or someone without blemish, without any fault, without any sin. It is the power of a pure and holy life that releases the effect of blood to defeat the power of death. So, Israel was not allowed to consume blood. Many of the offerings um, that were, were consumed by the priests, um, uh, and uh, some were just completely burned up, and no one ate them, but others were given for the priest as food, but no one was allowed to drink the blood. Not one. And this Leviticus 17 tells us why. The life, the soul of the creature is in the blood. Oh, Holy Spirit, just giving me some more. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to meditate on it for a bit before I share it, and it turns out to be something heretical, but I think it's really good. <laughs> the life, the soul of the creature is in the blood. Remember that verse, Leviticus 17. The life, the soul of the creature is in the blood. Mankind, the people of Israel, were not allowed to drink and to consume the soul of the creature. It covered them, it washed their bodies and cleansed them from sin, but they were not allowed to consume it. Now, animal blood, we see from this verse, because that's what it's referring to, is very holy and precious to God. But even more holy and precious to God is the blood of a human being. With Cain and Abel, when Cain killed his brother, murdered him, Yahweh, God, came down to Cain and said, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. Human blood has a voice. Innocent blood has a voice that ascends to the altar in heaven. And when innocent blood is shed, justice is dealt. In Genesis 9, God spoke to Noah and said, if you shed innocent blood of human beings, your blood will be shed. Blood for blood. The enemy knows the power of human blood. Much of the sacrificial system that God gave to Israel was, uh, um, it was not unknown to the ancient Near East. Many of the, uh, of the religions of the Near East um, practiced animal sacrifice, and some even human sacrifice. In 2 Kings 3.27, uh, um, the king of Moab, he's in a war with Israel, and when he's losing ground and Israel is, is, has the upper hand, he sacrifices his son before the Moabite god, Hemosh, as a burnt offering on the wall, and the tide of the war changes in his favor. The demonic realm is fueled by the shedding of innocent blood. Satan knows this. And that is why today the life of the unborn 
is important to God and is important to Satan. Satan knows the demonic activity that spreads over a region whenever innocent blood is shed. And that is why God is raising up a justice movement to see this end. In fact, I just want to take a moment to pray. Just a quick prayer that, uh, that Lou Engle um, and, uh, and Bound for Life came up with. It's, it's Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, send revival to America. Let's pray it. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Again, Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, send revival to America. One more time, every person in the room. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Amen. So, God's wrath would stir most intensely against Israel when they engaged in the shedding of innocent human blood. Under King Hosea and 2 Kings 17, there was idol worship, there was witchcraft, but it was when they were passing their sons through the fire and killing innocent people that the Assyrian invasion came and all of the ten tribes of Israel were scattered. It is when the people of Judah under King Manasseh, engaged in idolatry, witchcraft, but he offered his sons to the fire, that this stirred the wrath of God so much that a judgment came over Israel that would not be reversed. Jesus spoke over the community of Pharisees and Sadducees and those in Israel that rejected him, which were not all, but were many. And he said that from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, that will fall on this generation. Killing Jesus was the ultimate shedding of innocent blood. The blood of Jesus speaks a greater word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a a better word than the blood of goats and bulls. For the blood of Jesus poured out on the earth cries out for mercy. And it is by this blood that we receive full remission of sin, full cleansing of our land. As we prayed in this prayer just now, Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins, sins of my nation, end abortion, sin revival to America. Friends, these voices of these innocent are crying out, but we release the blood of Jesus. If we have in any way partaken in that, that we can be cleansed, but that it is through preaching the message of the supremacy of the blood of Christ that will bring cleansing to our, to our hearts and to our land. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. 
Book of Hebrews chapters, we're mainly going to look at chapter 10, make a few references to chapter 9. Hebrews, I like to call the Leviticus of the New Testament. And in fact, the more you read and, and uh, through the book of Leviticus and the, and the ending part of Exodus, the more the book of Hebrews starts to make sense to you, and really vice versa. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe start with Hebrews and then go back to Leviticus and Exodus. Go back to Hebrews and back and forth. Um, because it's all about blood. And the main point of the book of Hebrews is this, and it, and it, it says this explicitly in chapters 8, is, is, is the main point we're making, friends, is that Jesus is a high priest, of a, he's a better priest of a better covenant. That Moses served as a mediator of the old covenant before Israel, where he gave the people of God the Torah, and he sanctified the worship of the community of Israel by the, by the sprinkling or the splattering of, of bulls and goats over the people and over, uh, over the, the, the sanctuary. But Jesus comes in as a greater high priest who himself is both the priest and the victim of the sacrifice that is offered. And that by his own blood, he establishes a better covenant with the sacrifice that only needed to take place once and not repeatedly, like that of the Mosaic Covenant. So, there's so much in Hebrews. I really just wanted to read all of chapter 9 and 10 to you, but I'll let you do that at home. I'll be nice today. Um, but please read Hebrews. Um, so let's start at verse 10. Ugh, skipping so much. This whole week, I'm like, God, I just want to read it all. If I can just read Hebrews 9 and 10, that's my message. Um, <laughs> can move on, <laughs> but that's okay. Verse 11. Again, we're com- he's, the writer of Hebrews right now is comparing the Mosaic Covenant Um, with the new covenant. So verse 11 of Hebrews 10, every priest uh, of, of the Mosaic covenant stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Quite striking, given what we read, what what you might read if you go home um, tonight and read Leviticus. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for, for his feet. So you had the priests of, of the old covenant daily ministering, daily on their feet, standing, going and shedding blood, going into the holy place, sprinkling it all over the place, going into the holy of holies once a year, the high priest, sprinkling blood everywhere again, constantly standing, constantly moving, because a sacrifice had to be repeated and repeated and repeated. Um, and, and the sins of Israel were being repeated and repeated and repeated. And it just was a, an entire bloody affair with repeated sacrifices. But Jesus, one sacrifice, one perfect sacrifice, and he ascends into holy of holies in heaven and sits down. That shows, friends, the perfection of his single sacrifice that was so powerful that it wipes away all the sins of humanity for all time. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected, 
for all time. Say that. For all time. Those who are sanctified. That Jesus, by his one offering, brings perfection to you and I. In the priesthood under the Mosaic Covenant, the priests were sanctified. They were set apart. They were made holy. What does that mean? That they were made, they were set apart for worship and for the ministry of the priesthood, the ministry of intercession. That blood made them holy to come into the presence of God, to minister before God and minister on behalf of God to the people. But this blood had to be shed day after day after day after day. But the blood of Jesus shed one time has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. It has made perfect forever you and I so that we may come boldly into the presence of the Father in heaven in a more perfect heavenly sanctuary, having our sins removed completely for us forever. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and on their mind I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. No more. No more. blood of Jesus cleanses and purifies us from sin so drastically that when we come into the presence of God, God cannot see and God cannot remember those sins ever again. Verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That Jesus' shed blood gives us, again, confidence to enter the presence of God. In the tent of meeting, in the temple, you had the veil that led into the holy place. Only the high priest could enter that veil. But when Jesus died on the cross, and this is accounted in the Gospels, and his blood poured out on the earth, the earth shook, the temple broke, and the, and the, 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 um, the earthquake hit the temple specifically, and the veil split in two. That, that the opening, that that separation between the people of God and the most holy place was torn apart by the tearing apart of the flesh of Jesus Christ. And that his blood sanctified not just the earthly temple. What happened with the splitting of the veil at his, at his death was, was a sign of what was happening in heaven. 
that the veil to the direct presence of the Father was torn through the flesh of Jesus, that his blood was sprinkled out over the mercy seat in the holiest place in the heavenly tabernacle, and that we, the saints, could enter into a greater tabernacle for a greater ministry. So, what does Jesus' blood do for us? It forgives our sins. I will remember their sins no more. It removes them. It washes them. To him who loved us and washed us or released us from our sins by his own blood. It gives us, in addition... Not only does, it take, does the blood of Jesus take God's attention off the sins that we have committed, because it washes them, it removes them, it actually has power to take our attention off of sins. You know, a lot of us can sing these songs, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. But we sing that and then we go home and we think about all the cruddy things we've done before God and why we, in <laughs> our prayer life is just, you know, most people that struggle with their prayer life, that, that the main problem is, they're, is they're, they're so conscious of their sins and the disqualification that they have before God. Uh, but Hebrews 9, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, verse 2 but he's again talking about the, the insufficiency of the sacrificial system under the Mosaic law. Verse 2, otherwise they would not have ceased, these sacrifices under, under the Mosaic law would have ceased to be, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. That if the, the sacrifice under the Mosaic covenant were truly um, um, adequate, that it would have had power to release people from the consciousness of sin. But here's what the blood of Jesus did, as we already read. Um, verse 22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, from a sin-focused consciousness, from an evil-focused conscience, that, that that weight of that sin is constantly on our minds, that, that, that even the desire and the inclination to sin is constantly on our minds. And friends, it is a wrestle. I'm not saying it's not a wrestle and there's not a sense of, of turning our souls and our minds to things that are above and of walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. There, there is a turning of our hearts, there's a turning of our minds, there's a turning of our actions. But, but what happens when we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, when we receive the Holy Spirit, is that our old nature dies. It's buried in baptism and then raised up into new life. And that new life, that new man, is actually oriented towards righteousness consciousness. And I mean that in two ways. Righteousness consciousness in the sense of, I'm all right with God. That I can come before my Father boldly. Because I've received the free gift of righteousness, right standing, of justice, Blood requires justice, and the blood of Jesus imparted the justice, the righteousness of God to us so that we can come before him without sin. 
Ugh. I know I'm repeating myself, but guys, this is good news. <laughs> the orientation of our new nature is our standing, our ability to come before God confidently and boldly. But it's also the orientation of our nature to walk out that righteousness, to, to walk in the spirit, to live a life that's pleasing to God. That old man, that old nature was drawn to and inclined towards sin. Death dominated that old nature. But friends, do not identify with that old person anymore. You buried it in baptism. And what the sacrifices of the Mosaic Covenant did was that they washed merely the body. They sanctified the body of the people, which is very important. However, the blood of Jesus... It sanctifies and it makes holy the soul of the people. It purifies the conscience. And it not only removes outward guilt, it removes inward inclination towards sin. Well, then why do I keep sinning? The sacrifices of Moses caused a reminder of sins that when those sacrifices were performed, though it made atonement, though it made forgiveness, the author of Hebrews says it actually became a reminder of sin. It reminded people how sinful they were. But the sacrifice of Jesus, when we start fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, when we start tapping into the power of his blood and what it's done for us, that that starts to take our minds off the reminder of sin and, and puts our minds on the, on the removal and the forgetting of sin. I will remember their sins. No more. No more. No more. No more. Every time we meditate on the cross, we, see, we connect our hearts with the passion, with the, with the, the intensity of, of love that Christ poured out for us on the cross. But we receive that love as a reminder, not of our sins, but a reminder of our forgiveness a reminder of our ability to come before the presence of God. The blood of Jesus forgives sins. It frees us from sin con consciousness. It perfects those who for all time, uh, perfects for all time those who are being sanctified. And it gives us confidence to enter the holy place. See, friends, the blood of Jesus was not meant just to forgive us and make us okay with God. Even though that's very important. Because the confidence that we have when we know that we're all right with somebody, um, we relate to them very differently. You know, if I'm, if, if I'm going up to my father as a child and constantly under this view that he has my, an account of my sins, which is never the heart of the father. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. Anyway, um, lots of disclaimers I can make there, but um, I won't. Um, that uh, if, I, if I'm constantly thinking, oh, crud, my, my father's going to just smash me if I say the wrong things. I mean, it, it might, you know, put me in line in a very duty-oriented obedience to the father. Um, um, or it could just cause me to go in outright rebellion. Uh, because, because I just never get this sense that I'm ever going to be good enough. I never get this sense that it's going to be enough. And so I'm afraid to ask him for certain things. But when we have, a, we have confidence with our earthly fathers that, and our mothers that they love us, friends, kids, you ever hang out with kids? They get really bold when they know they're loved. 
my little two-year-old niece, Julianne, we call her Jules. This girl is, has so much personality. She's in the restaurant, starts singing the dinosaur song, stomping her feet, lying down on the floor, you know? <laughs> um, and, 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 and my sister does a beautiful job of, of, of just giving her the freedom to express her personality. Um, and yes, there's time and place for certain things, you know, um, when it comes to exuberance and loudness. But, but I love how my sister really um, goes more on the side of, of giving her the freedom to express herself. Because this little girl, I mean, <laughs> she calls the shots. <laughs> um, she sits in my lap knowing that she's okay with me and that I'm okay with her. She, she, I was with her Friday night, and she sits on my lap, Uncle Matt, puzzle. Not having any concept in her mind that Matt may not want to put this same puzzle together for the hundredth time. <laughs> Doesn't cross her mind. <laughs> what she's focused on is Uncle Matt loves me, and I want to play with him right now. And friends, that I, I know kids, we mature, we, 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 that our relationship with our parents matures, but, but there's something really powerful we've got to learn from children. It's these bold children that ran up to Jesus because they were confident that he loved them. When we know we're loved, when we know that God is not keeping account of our sins, we come boldly before him. But friends, it's, it's really for much more um, than just being there in the worship service. It's partnering with God as a kingdom, as a priesthood. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Prayer, he started it with a profound word, Father. Our Father, our Father, our Father. That there was a confidence that we could have in our, in our familial relationship with God but there was also a partnership. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That by the blood of Jesus, not only do we have access into the holiest of holies in the heavenly places, we're there to worship, to gaze, to see the beauty of God, but we're there to be empowered with him to release his spirit his power and his kingdom into this earth. We do that when we partner with him in intercession. We do that when we go lay hands on the sick, when we preach the gospel, when we bring healing to the brokenhearted, that that is how we are partnering with Jesus to bring his kingdom to the earth. And, and it, is, it is that also that if you're in the workplace, that, he is, that you're bringing the kingdom of heaven into your business that you're running this business or you're, or you're working for that law firm or, 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 um, or you're, you're, you're a cashier at the grocery store or, or whatever it is you do, that you're doing it as Jesus would and you're bringing the presence of God into that place and you have the opportunity to share the love and the power of the Holy Spirit with every single person around you. So we have that access as confident sons into the heart of the Father and then we have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to go out and release that love and that power to the earth.
Worship team, come on up. Hmm. We're also going to take communion. So ushers, if you'll begin distributing that. Here at Storehouse Church, our tagline is Access Heaven, Transform Earth. I love it because I've, I've known John and Tracy a long time, and I know from the beginning that's been their very heart. And the importance of what, I, what I'm sharing with you today is that those two things that we're trying to do here and that we are doing and that we want to equip you to do is completely dependent and empowered by the shedding of the blood of Christ. That as priests, we access heaven because we know that we're all right with our Father, that he doesn't remember our sins, that we come boldly before the throne of grace, that we enjoy his presence. But then, as a kingdom, as kings, we go out into the earth and release that love and that power and transform it to make earth start looking like heaven.